0: Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession to teach you how to be the most productive you possible. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to go to my website, MrProductivity.com and download for free my top five productivity tips. That's right. Just go to MrProductivity.com and download my top. Five productivity tips today on this very special episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. We are not talking about productivity. Instead, we are talking with author Andrea Wilson Woods, who wrote the book Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. It's the documentation, the story, the journey of Andrea's sister, Adrian, her final 147 Days of Life on This Planet. This is an incredible book. It's an incredible episode. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Andrea, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Mark, for having me.
0: I want to thank you for sending me a copy of your book, which we're going to talk a lot about today, Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. Now, obviously, with the title Better Off Bald, now, this is not a video podcast, folks, but if you haven't seen a picture of me, I have been voluntarily bald since 2003, so of course I resonated with the title because I believe everyone would be better off bald. But, it, but, but Andrea, you do not have a bald head.
1: I do not, but you look good, by the way. Well, like you rock it.
0: Thank you. Well, I had to get permission from my wife, and I said, you think I'm a good bald?" She goes, "Yes." And matter of fact, she likes me bald so much, I cannot grow my hair back, which I wouldn't. I live in Houston. Really? Yes.
1: I. I oh my gosh!
0: I don't want to grow back and have hair. Oh my goodness! I see people with long hair. I live in Houston, and it's like it's like a million degrees outside. How do you have long hair? You're insane. I mean, I it's. You know, the bad part about being bald when it's hot, I have nothing to, to suck up the air, or the water, and so it's like waterfalls over my eyes. Um, <laughs> but I love being bald. I mean, I shave my head every day. Those of you who know what a chia pet is, that's why I look at it around five o'clock. So I have to shave my head every day. So. <laughs>
1: Now you're just making people mad because your hair grows fast. Yes.
0: That, well, I, I apparently, my wife said I have a little bald spot in the very top of my head. So, but you think after what, 17 years, my hair would go, okay, look, he's shaving every day. Let's just stop growing, <laughs> but it grows every day. It's kind of, kind of sad. So um, But I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Your book is absolutely fantastic. And before we get into the subject of the book, which we're going to talk about for most of the show, why don't you take a few minutes, not a few minutes, maybe about 20 seconds or so, tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Uh, well, you already introduced me. Um, I am the president and founder of Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association, which is a nonprofit focused on liver cancer, which we'll get into. And I'm also the CEO and co-founder of Cancer You, which is a for-profit social benefit health tech startup. And I am the author of Better Off Bald.
0: And the book is incredible. So give us a synopsis of what the book is about.
1: The book is about a period of my life, a seven-year period in my 20s when I raised my younger sister, Adrian. I got custody of her when I was 22 years old and she was eight years old. I raised her all through my 20s until she died from stage four liver cancer at the age of 15. So it's about that period in my life, but it's also about Adrian's 147-day battle with liver cancer, hence the subtitle, A Life in 147 Days.
0: So 147 days. Obviously she didn't get diagnosed as soon as she got cancer. You're saying that's 147 days from when she was diagnosed, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. So listener, I want you to think about that. 147 days. That's not a long time. I mean, it was, she was a, if you read, read the book, which I, you're going to want to read the book. I'm giving it my endorsement. Read the book. Um, you know, life is precious and she was a normal kid. And yeah. then she, you know, she got this cancer and, uh, and, uh, Adrian, I told you, going to do that. Andrea, because <laughs> the two letters have both words have a's in it. Andrea takes you through her journey and she documents everything that happens on every day. And it's an incredible book. So, the one thing I, I actually felt part of your story, by the way, and I was kind of mad when I had to put the book down because I had to do like my job, but <laughs> <laughs> um, cause my clients like to be served. But I felt like I was part of your story because when you were sharing the story, I mean, you didn't think there, you went through those stages where, oh, maybe she's just, you know, got a bug or, you know, in the very beginning, no one ever thinks that it's something serious. So walk us through like like maybe the couple days before she was diagnosed and what was going through your mind? What was going through Adrian's mind?
1: Sure. So um, it was toward the end of her freshman year of high school. It was May of 2001 and two weeks before she had had pain in her right shoulder. We went to a pediatrician. He thought she had pulled her shoulder. She was really active in high school. She was involved with dance. Um, and so that's what he thought it was. We thought nothing of it got some ibuprofen, went home. Shoulder gets better. Um, and then two weeks to the day, um, I come home, May 16, 2001. You never for- forget that day, especially if you're the caregiver. And I come in the door from work, and she's in the living room, curled up in a fetal position, crying and mm. saying she can't breathe. And she's just clutching her right side. Um, and this was so significant because Adrian didn't cry. I mean, this was a tough kid. She just didn't cry. And We went back to her pediatrician and he was really surprised to see us. He thought we were back for the shoulder and she said, no, no, no. I just, I can't breathe. And he sent us to the only hospital in Burbank, California, the local hospital, went through the ER and um, based on her symptoms and what she was saying, they ordered a CAT scan. Um, And from the time I came home to the time the ER doctor told us the news, it was six hours. Wow. And, and that's what I tell people, like, your your life can change on a dime. Mm. And, you know, an ER doctor comes in, he doesn't look at her, which I, that's how I knew it was going to be really bad news because he wouldn't even look at her. Wow. And he looks at me and he just says, she has tumors in her liver and lungs. Mm. And we're not equipped to handle the situation because this particular hospital did not see pediatric patients. And they arranged for an ambulance transfer to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. He apologized, and he left. Wow. And that was it. And wow. and, and it, that was like 9 o'clock at night. And you know, then we're on a, an ambulance going to Children's Hospital. And that was day one of Adrian's cancer journey. A week later, she was doing chemotherapy. It, wow. it was crazy.
0: I mean, I, I'm trying to – of course, I had never been there, so I don't know what you're going through. But the emotions, I mean, your world is rocked. I mean, you share the story in the book about your your mom and why Adrian came to live with you. And we won't get into that. But I, I can't imagine, you know, you're having a typical normal day until you came home. And did you think it might have been appendicitis at first?
1: No, I, I didn't because I had had appendicitis the year before. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had emergency appendectomy the year before. Um, and no, I, I, I knew it was bad. You know, I just knew Adrian knew. Um, I knew, I knew it was bad when, when he said tumors in her liver and lungs. Um, you know, I I don't know if it was because of a show I had seen on TV or because our mother had been a nurse, but I, I remembered that benign tumors don't usually spread, you know, malignant tumors are ones that spread and that stuck in my head. And, Um, So even that first day um, before her biopsy, before results came back from pathology, I just knew it was going to be really, really bad news. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't want it to be, um, but it was. And then we found out later that right shoulder pain is actually a sign of advanced liver cancer. Um, We have a nerve. Yeah, we have a nerve from our liver that goes all the way up to our right shoulder and it's called referred pain. And, and wow. that's what that shoulder pain was. It, was. it was her body saying, hello, hello, we've got a problem.
0: Wow. So what made you, because I know most people wouldn't do this, and I, I'm going to add my little thing after you answer this question. What made you say, you know what, I want to document this? Did you think that maybe she would beat this and you have a uh, documented journey? Or did you say, you know what, this is not going to end the way we want it to end and I want to remember it? What made you decide to jur- document her journey?
1: Well, the first few days she was in the hospital, things were moving so quickly. I didn't document it um, as much. We would jot down a few notes here and there, but we, we didn't. And it would became very clear to me that it was better for us if we took notes. And I'm just a note taker anyway. I like to stay organized. I am very curious. I like to ask questions. Um, but there was an incident where Adrian was given a medication that had been clear that she had already had a bad reaction to, but it was given to her again, and so I really felt like the onus was on me as her parents and caregiver to take notes, to document things, um, even though we got dirty looks from the doctors and the nurses. But um, and and it was it was worth it to do. I mean, I, I say in the book there was a point where they lost her chart her medical records, because it was a time when hospitals were trying to transfer from paper to electronic, but it was, you know, really difficult. And they actually had to come to me and ask me (laughs) on a specific day, how much medication they had given her because they had no record of it whatsoever. But I had a record of it. So it was really just to keep track of what was going on and to stay on top of it as her caregiver
0: what did you find as she continued to deteriorate did you lean on the documentation to some place to go that would be i don't know what's the word i'm looking for like a a, a place of solitude or uh, some place that you can hook your um I I hope you know what I'm talking about. I, I don't. I can, I'm struggling to find the right words. Did Did that help you through some of the really tougher days documenting, it, or has it just become wrote at that point when she was really getting bad?
1: I really leaned on research, and I knew that it was statistically impossible that no one had survived this cancer in stage four. I mean, I knew someone had to have and. Mm-hmm. I spent so much of my time trying to find that person and um, and I did, so I won't give it away in the book, but, but that moment, um, and I found more than one person, but with that moment when I actually found people who had survived stage four liver cancer, it was such an overwhelming moment for me. Um, and, and, and I was just so relieved and it just gave me that hope back and, um, But yeah, I really leaned into research and certainly books. Um, And and yeah, solace is a good word. Like that's where I went for it, Um, you know, but but also that's where a lot of the bad news was too. Mm.
0: Well, I shared with you before I started recording that I was a documenter and I use a day one journal app and I kind of got away from it. And then I read your book and I'm like, you know what? Time is going to keep on going. And we're going to remember. We're going to want to remember. So I have, thanks to your book, I've gone back to using my day one app. And it's not always pictures. Sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes like we're going through COVID-19 right now, I'll do screenshots of the breaking news or the protests or stuff like that. Because I know Facebook does this, but I don't trust social media. This is my data on my phone. So when it comes up and says, hey, this was happened last year, it's on my, it's within my control. And I think that's really important because we all think our brains are gonna remember this. And we go through traumatic events, we don't remember it, you know, remember things. And in fact, I told my wife, if something ever happened to me, i want to be taking my pictures and stuff like that and documenting. But if I go unconscious or I'd be put in the ventilator, you better take pictures because I want to see those when I'm done. And some people go, oh, that's, it's morbid. We had a, a neighbor of ours died three years ago and we were there when he died in the hospital. And I took, uh, when, after he died, I took a picture of him after he just, after he just passed away. And I I doubted myself for like a split second, but I took it anyways. His family is so thankful I took that picture because he, lo- he wasn't in pain anymore. And most, right. a lot of people say, well, that's morbid, but let me tell you something. They were thankful I did because they remembered all the hospital and the surgery and the pain he was in. This picture was a picture of him in peace. And so I think what I would suggest Someone in your family, if, uh, whether it's a young child, like Andrea or Adrian, sorry, or someone older and they pass away, take that picture because you're never going to get to see a person again and you're going to regret. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I should have taken pictures like pictures at funeral, at the funerals. I would take pictures of that. People say, well, it's, it's not right. Well, I think it's up to the family. I, I think it it's is. up to you. I would want, like, I'm not going to, this is, Going off on a little tangent here. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do the whole cemetery thing. So I told my wife when I pass away, give all the organs I can to save other people, then donate my body to science, let the kids carve it up, practice autopsy, and then throw it in a dumpster. Because I, you know, I believe, I believe in God, and when I'm done with the body, I'm done with it. You know, I I don't want to pay for a plot in the cemetery. That's my choice. I never judge what someone else does because we all get to make our own choice. And I but I think that we need to document our journey. And there's people that passed away in my life and I'm like, man, I didn't document that at all. And now, mm-hmm. now and every passing day, I'm like, Oh man, I wish. Cause the, the memory starts fading. You yeah. have a documentation of uh, Adrian's last 147 days. This is precious. This is something so many people don't do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, just on, on everything you said from, from taking the picture to documenting and, and i feel really blessed because adrienne was a writer and she had started an online journal before she got sick i was never allowed to read it um and i didn't i respected her privacy i mean i i didn't read it until at least a year after she died oh, and wow. but that online journal i used that in my book to show her point of view but also it was it was a place for me to go back and i and i read it from beginning to end and it's just so infused with her personality and it, her personality just comes through in the words, and she just she just had a, a way with words, and she was so funny and and that was good for me to to have to have that. I mean, I ended up printing out the entire thing because oh, I wow. just wanted to have that um, to, to have her journal. But I do think it's important to to document um, your life. It is.
0: So the question, I normally don't, don't take questions from the audience, but my wife is reading <laughs> your book as well, and she wanted to know. <laughs> How has your perspective of life changed after you went through this very earth-shattering moment, which happened like really quickly from the time she got sick until the time she passed away? How has that changed your perspective on life?
1: Well, I mean, in an obvious way that obviously life is short, right? And mm-hmm. if there are things that you want to do with your life, you just need to do them. Yes. Yes. But, I feel like I didn't really take that lesson for for a long time. I mean, I was really just buried in my grief for such a long time. and i I was afraid for a really long time, I let fear stop me. and and I think most people do. I don't think that's an uncommon reaction, but i um, i was af- I was afraid to leave Los Angeles, for example. Um, and initially I was afraid to leave LA because I had never been anywhere else in my adult life as far as like living somewhere else, even though I not, I wasn't from LA. And I was also afraid that if I left LA, I was somehow leaving Adrian because she's buried there because that's where I raised her. I actually wrote the first draft of the book in her bedroom where she oh, died. Wow. okay And so I really felt like her personality was there and it infused the book somehow and, um, but when I started to face my fears and and fears don't go away by the by the way, right? <laughs> they're still there, but you have to face them, and once I sort of face them and embrace them, my life changed for the better, and that was only five years ago mm. that I finally just said okay i'm I, I have got to do something different um because what I was doing wasn't really working, so I really struggled for a long time with with grief um but now um I don't. Limit myself, even if I'm afraid. If there's something I want to do, I just do it. Um, And I certainly don't worry about what people think anymore.
0: I love the fact that uh, Adrian died at home. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I, we had my wife and I had a neighbor that he had cancer really, really bad. I don't remember what kind of cancer he had. And the, the hospital said there's nothing else we can do. And he goes, I want to die from home. I want to die at home. Mm. Why die surrounded by these gizmos going off and all the nurses and the people? And he he died a couple of days after he got home. I don't remember how long Adrian before she passed away, but I, I'm sure it was probably better for you and your family that she died someplace instead of someplace sterile. She was home where she was loved.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that's the best gift I gave Adrian was I made sure that she had a good death and. You'll find out in the book that that was not an easy thing for me to give her. Mm-hmm. That I really had to fight the medical establishment just to get her home.
0: Which is amazing because you are you're a parent. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, I mean, why? I don't understand why that was a big deal. I mean, they would have less things to do. I mean, she at that point was gonna die in a matter of days. I don't know why they had a big deal. It wasn't like they had a miracle cure on hand. So I don't understand in my mind I questioned myself. I'm like, what what's the big deal here? So I couldn't imagine what you were going through.
1: Yeah, I well I was going against doctors' orders and I, I think unfortunately, um, and this is a whole another podcast. Like not just an episode, a whole nother <laughs> podcast. But but I think, you know, I think doctors often just are afraid of getting sued in these situations and and I was going against their orders. I was not gonna let her be put on a respirator and it goes from there. But um I think again it actually comes back to fear, mm-hmm. you know. And so but but you know, ultimately I got her home and that's what's important and um And yeah, I I gave her a really good death. So that's actually something else I'm incredibly passionate about is um, to have that death conversation with people and have it before you get sick. I love that you've already had that conversation with your wife. That's awesome.
0: So I got to ask you this. Did you know when she was diagnosed that This is it. I mean, it's just a matter of days. Or did you have hope that there? You may find that miracle cure. You talk about some of the other countries. You found some places. I'm not gonna go into that because once you read the book, folks. But (laughs) did you know? Because sometimes we know. Like, like for example, this is not doesn't deal with death. But my mom, I lost her mentally two years ago. She's got Alzheimer's, late onset Alzheimer's. And we knew in the beginning, the way mom was acting, that. Just you know, she's not gonna come back. And my dad's having a real tough time. They've been married fifty-six years. Very tough time dealing with it because he sees his wife of fifty-six years, but in a she's seventy-six years old. But mentally, she's like a four-year-old. Not a four-year-old God. in two thousand twenty. She's a four-year-old back in the forties. Okay. And my dad's mm-hmm. struggling with this because he looks and he sees mom. And I've right. I've come to grips with it. I lost my mom two years ago, and but people. You know, I knew when mom started acting weird, I said, Dad, you should take mom to her primary care physician. They did the test. Yeah. They said, Well, you have to go to another test. And then it turned out she had Alzheimer's. And then she just went off a clip. I mean, literally, I mean, yeah. nine second phone calls. It's the same thing. Hi, mom. How are you? Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good. How's today? Good. How are you? Good. Okay. Love you, mom. It's like nine second conversation. I just talked to this woman for an hour at a time. And it just happened so mm-hmm. rapidly. And so did you ever, did you know when she was diagnosed that, that this is it, she's never going to make it the next year, next two years, whatever the case may be, or did you hold out hope?
1: Well, on the surface, I lived in a very healthy state of denial. Um, I had to have hope um, because I really couldn't picture a world where Adrian wasn't in it. Um, Mm -hmm. She was the most important person to me. I've never to this day loved anyone the way I loved her. Um, and so that was on the surface, but below the surface, I had three premonitions. Um, when Adrian was born, I knew I would outlive her. Um, like I knew I felt it instantly, but I always thought she would be in her fifties and I would be in my seventies. Right. Um, I started having this really unnatural fear of cancer in my early twenties. Now I didn't really link it to Adrian until later but it did start around the time I got custody of her and the fear was so overwhelming that when I got this advertisement from the leukemia and lymphoma society in the mail to run a marathon that's what I decided to do even though I'm a terrible runner <laughs> and so <laughs> I signed up to run a marathon I raised money and I was actually supposed to do the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon 3 weeks after Adrian was diagnosed and I didn't do it because I had totally stopped training I ended up doing a marathon a year later Um, but that's how irrational the fear was. I thought, oh, if I just raise money and run a marathon, the fear will go away. And then the third premonition, um, the one I struggled with the most was Adrian had wanted to go to college from the time she was six years old. Um, she loved USC. That's my alma mater. She had spent a lot of time on that campus with me. And, you know, I know that campus like the back of my hand and, Adrian was also one of those kids, uh, you know, who had always looked the same since she was about 18 months old. So it it wasn't hard to visualize her at 18 years old. She wasn't going to look that different, right, from the time she was 15 to 18. Um, And it didn't matter how hard I tried. I could not see her as a young college student walking down Truesdale Parkway on the USC campus. Wow! I tried and tried and tried, and I couldn't see it and um so i knew I, I mean i knew deep down i really do
0: wow you know and i grief is a very personal thing i will never tell anyone that you're grieving too long not long enough. You know, I don't, for some reason, I don't grieve. Now, I've never had anyone really close uh, to me pass away. Um, you know, my mom and dad are still alive. I don't have any siblings. And so I think we all deal with grief differently. And I don't think we should ever say, oh, you should be grieving more. You don't know what I'm going through in the inside. And we all deal with things differently. And I think we need to give ourselves grace and realize that you could have two people Standing next to each other, and they could grieve totally different for different different lengths of time. And there's no wrong or right way to grieve. And you know, and you obviously were really close to Adrian. I mean, I mean, sisters. I mean, you were a parent and everything like that. She she liked blue. Um So tell us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because at one time she had a was it a reverse mohawk or a mohawk? I don't remember.
1: She had a quad hawk.
0: Well, that's what it was. Okay. She
1: quad hawk. She shaved her head into four mohawks before chemo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd never heard that phrase before. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That was, uh, um, and I think you were sharing the pictures in the book and that was that was very interesting. Now, did she color her hair?
1: Yeah. So I would not let her dye her hair until she was 14. That was kind of a rule in our house. And of course, the day she turned 14, she kind of went crazy. And so she she did red, purple but blue was her favorite color and um, and before she started high school she dyed her hair blue i mean blue blue royal blue and um, and so and she kept dyeing it blue so when she was checked into the hospital the blue had kind of faded to like a turquoise color and so, um, her hair was kind of kind of turquoise and um, and she was i mean all the nurses and the doctors remembered her because of her blue hair. (laughs) And when her hair started to fall out, she actually got a blue wig to maintain her look as she called it. Um, And yeah, it was just her favorite color. And yeah, it's funny. I don't talk about it very much, but I have a tattoo inside of my arm. It's her signature and it's in blue. Oh, wow. Uh, And it's really, really special to me. Um, But uh, yeah, she, she just loved blue. She did. And, and her funeral, I asked everyone to wear blue and to surprise me, a lot of people dyed their hair blue.
0: Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. Was that in the book? Cause I don't remember that. Was that in the book? No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I, cause I didn't yeah. remember that in the book. Um, it'd be cool if the book was in color though. Cause I, there's I know a, there's a couple things I'm like, I'm trying to imagine it in blue. Yeah. So very interesting. I, I just had another question that just flew out of my head. So I was just repping your, your answer. Um, tell us about, Pick one moment from the book that maybe that your emotions were really high, whether they are really high in a good way or really high in the bad way. Take us through that. Just one moment to to whet our appetite for the book.
1: Um, I know. I know exactly the moment. Um, So. Adrian had a therapist and who was a big part of our lives. She was a wonderful woman and really saved Adrian's life, in my opinion. And I actually saw her for the first time in many years last October. Uh, we had dinner and we were talking about the moment that I had to confront the school district that I actually worked for. I was a teacher for the Burbank Unified yes. School District and Adrian wanted to go back to school in the fall and, but it was going to be at home and, you know, <laughs> It's interesting, right? It comes down to state versus federal funding. But because um, she was basically a smart kid, she didn't qualify for local school funds that would be for special ed. But yet there's uh, the 504 rule, which is for, you know, a federal law, which is uh, funding. I'm not saying this the best way possible, but which is a federal (laughs) law that should provide for any kind of funding. So basically, I had to go to the school district and I asked for more hours for her to go back to school. I mean, I could teach English and history, but I couldn't teach algebra, too. You know, I couldn't teach, you know, you know, what was it, physics or whatever. I needed assistance from the school district and they wanted to give her five hours of instruction per week. And I was like, what, five, five hours. And, um, and so we had this big meeting with the school district and, um, and the superintendent, it was just, it was such a highly charged meeting. He was across the room from me. And if I had not been restrained by people, I would have punched him out. (laughs) I was so, I think that's the maddest I was during that time. I was so furious because essentially she was being punished for being an extremely bright kid. You yeah. know, and um, and I threatened to go public with it. And wow. and that actually changed his mind.
0: I could feel your anger when I was reading the book. I mean, it's like, wow, she was really wouldn't want to be in front of her at that moment. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So tell us you got to go on the Tonight Show um,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> now that Jay Leno was the host, right? He was so a wonderful does, man. I've heard he's a real nice man. Is his yeah. head really that big or is the camera at 10 pounds? I heard he's had a really, he has a really big head physically.
1: He's a big head, but he's a big guy. Okay. Right? Yeah. So he's a tall guy. So it all balances out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I miss him on the Tonight Show. I, I, I do not like uh, Jimmy Fallon. He's probably a really nice guy, but it's, you know, I think J, um, Jay Leno was more balanced between conservative and liberal, where now all the talk show hosts are liberal. And I just, Jay Leno would pick on anybody. He didn't care what the yeah. political party he would pick on anybody. And I, I just really liked it. So you got to meet him and of course Adrian got to meet her her um how do I wanna say this? Her idol. Um I, I don't I'm not a fan of the group. Uh who's the guy again?
1: Dave Navarro, yeah, the Jane's I, Addiction. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't oh, listen to any of their music,
0: him. but but that must have been. I mean, she dressed up because you got a picture in the book. I mean, that must have been the highlight of of that year for her, if not her life, uh, because that was. I mean, I could not imagine. It's like me. My favorite group is Hillsong United out of Australia. If I get to meet them, because whenever we watch them, <laughs> uh, they have a singer. Uh, she'll never listen to show. She's got a singer called Taya and she's so cute. Now I'm married. I'm happily married. I'm not gonna cheat on my wife, but whenever, you know, whenever she comes on the screen, cause I, we subscribe to the channel and I'm like, my wife goes up, oh, there's your girl. <laughs> so, I mean, I would love to meet her, even though these people, they're just human beings. They're right. just human beings. I mean, Dave is, he's not any, he's not better. He's just does different things. And, uh, she was really pumped up to meet him.
1: Oh, oh my God. She was well, The Tonight Show. I mean, I didn't do any of this. That's the thing. I mean, the Tonight Show happened because she and her boyfriend decided, "Hey, you know, he's going to be on the Tonight Show. Let's get tickets to the Tonight Show." And they and they did, and um, and yeah, and they're both really really nice people. I mean, Jay Leno called me at my house. Wow,
0: how cool is that?
1: And after after
0: after she died, really.
1: After she died, wow. he called me, and it was the one phone call that week that I happened to pick up the phone because I actually had someone helping me with phone calls, and I wow. didn't want to talk to anybody. And I, for whatever reason, I happened to pick up the phone, and it's Jay Leno. And of course, my first thought is, "Is it really Jay Leno?" My second thought is, "If it's Jay Leno, how did he get my number?" And it was like, <laughs> "Oh, well, he's Jay Leno, so <laughs> you know, of course, he got my number from someone." And um, and he was just telling me that he heard the news and he was really sorry. Um, He lived in Burbank and Burbank's a relatively small community compared to the rest of Los Angeles. Oh, really? Okay. And, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah. And and Dave Navarro actually emailed me. Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a great experience. And then she got to see Dave Navarro again for her Make-A-Wish Day. And again, she, she made all that happen. And I think one of the, um, Funnier times was when we met we went to meet her new pediatric oncologist at UCLA. I was changing her care and everything. And we had been waiting for hours to see him. And right before we go in, we get the phone call from the Make a Wish coordinator saying, Hey, you're gonna get your wish. And by the way, Dave Navarro knows who you are. Like, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> like apparently, you already met him on the tonight show. And, and Adrian's like, Yeah, yeah, I did. Blah, 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 You know, so she's so excited. And this doctor comes in to meet Adrian, and the first words out of her mouth are, "Dave Navarro knows who I am," <laughs> and you know, and and he didn't miss a beat, and he wasn't condescending, and he just went right with her, and he said, "Who is Dave Navarro?" <laughs> 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 and you know, it's just it was a great moment because it stopped being about cancer; it just was about this really excited fifteen-year-old girl who was getting to you know, meet her favorite musician for the second time. And and of course she spent the next five minutes educating her new doctor about Dave Navarro.
0: Wow. It was great. That right. is so cool. Now I'm not going to go back to anything else happened in the book because I want to end on a happy note. But yes. take a minute, tell us where we can find the book. Because I I am listener, you gotta be you got to read this book. It is a fantastic, fantastic book. But Ad, mm-hmm. uh, Adr- Adrian Andrea, I got the book right in front of me. I can't read. Andrea, where can we find?
1: Where can we find this book? If you just go to the book's website, betteroffball dot com, you will see all the retailers that uh, carry it. So that's the best place to go. And you can also see how to connect with me um, on social media.
0: Okay. Well, this has been. A, a, a great conversation with you. Thank you for sharing us your life. We only touched it. We wanted to give you the wet the appetite. Go get the book. It it's it's incredible. And the thing I took away from it is how precious life is. Because think about that, folks. 147 days. And go to your calendar, count off 147 days, and that's how long from the time she was diagnosed until the time she died. Uh, live every day for its fullest. Stop being angry and full of hatred and divisiveness. And I hate this group. Look at What if you got diagnosed with stage four liver cancer and had 147 uh, days to live? Would you be angry anymore? No, you'd be living life to its fullest. So, and and, Andrea, oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) (laughs) Please forgive me. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was awesome to have you on.
1: You're welcome. I do have a gift for your listeners. Don't
0: oh, forget. yes, do. Tell us about that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, my health tech startup, Cancer University, um, is for newly diagnosed cancer patients and caregivers. And we would like to offer your listeners a free lifetime membership. So, if they just go to cancer.university and they click apply now, fill out the application. And at the very bottom, where someone would normally pay, they just say, I have a coupon code. And their coupon code is productivity, since that is what you are known for.
0: We were going to say Struchowski, but then no one would go to the website because they couldn't spell <laughs> my name. So we decided to make it a little easier for you guys. So,
1: right, thank you
0: for that very generous gift. That was very, very much appreciated, and we thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun.
0: And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website mr dot com m i s t e r mr dot com and get my top five productivity tips absolutely free. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast so other people find it. And finally, if you want to take it to the next level, tell two or three of your best friends, your closest colleagues about the show so I can help more people. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. Until we meet again, my friends, go be productive.